This conversation with the media executive Sharuk Hassan is the fourth in an audio series we're calling Another Pakistan, recorded in midsummer 2011. It's a co-production of the Watson Institute at Brown University and the Asia Society. I'm Christopher Leiden in Karachi with Sharuk Hassan. He is the managing director of the Jang Group of newspapers in Pakistan, family-owned and prosperous the way American newspapers were in days of yore. Sharuk Hassan is also a driving force in the campaign, teamed with the Times of India across the border to soften this long and lethal standoff between these unequal siblings, India and Pakistan, brought to life and strife 64 years ago this summer out of the old British Raj. The byword of the campaign is Aman Ki Asha, Hope for Peace, the slogan drawn from Hindi and Urdu words. This is open source from the Watson Institute at Brown University, an American conversation with global attitude, we call it. On the road in the summer of 2011, it's a South Asian conversation with some American attitude. Shoruk Hassan, would you take Aman Ki Asha apart, both the words and your ambition for it? Uh, Aman Ki Asha, as you've explained yourself, uh, stands for, literal meaning is hope for peace. Uh, but the two words, uh, Aman and Asha, which are uh, in Urdu and Hindi, also uh, reflect the collaborative nature of the scheme, which is between India and Pakistan uh, in, in a general sense, and between Pakistan, uh, the Jung Group, which is the largest newspaper conglomerate of Pakistan, and the Times of India, which is also by far the largest newspaper group in India uh, in particular. So this uh, peace initiative, Aman Ki Asha, uh, was conceived uh, in Pakistan by us. We then took it to India. We mm. met a lot of people and we were advised that given the background of hostility between the two countries, given the political baggage that the governments carry, uh, given the vested interests that exist between the two countries, as a result of which uh, any attempt by governments have failed. It's always been one step forward, two step backwards. Uh, we would have half a hope in hell of succeeding mm. if we had a very powerful uh, ally in India, uh, a natural counterpart somebody who would mirror the movement that we would initiate in Pakistan, only then would it be possible for us to take it forward. Uh, we met many different people, as I mentioned, and one of the people that we met was Pakistan's High Commissioner in India, and he said that your first task should be uh, to convert uh, your most powerful enemy, which is the Times of India. <laughs> the Times of India is your counterpart in, 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 in India. It is a very strong, powerful newspaper. Uh, it is very hawkish in terms of editorial policy vis-a-vis -vis Pakistan. So let's see you convert them first. And if you can get them to participate and to partner this movement, then you would have uh, a movement, a campaign, an initiative for peace uh, that would move from one end of Pakistan to the other end of India. And that would be your first task. So we went and we met with the Times of India. And during the discussion, uh, we discussed uh, problems besetting the two countries. We discussed our relationships. We discussed the plight of uh, divided families. We spoke of lost opportunities. We 
spoke of the potential of the two countries and we said that if there is one thing that we could do if there was a single item on our wish list it would be to have peace between the two countries uh, peace uh, what peace means to india is nothing compared to what peace means to pakistan hmm. peace with india because for us it is as it is uh, an existential threat uh, the road to progress for pakistan leads through india if we have no peace with india we can never progress whether <clears throat> it is the absence of democracy whether it is the poor economic uh, conditions uh, whether it is our international image which has taken a battering over the last uh, many decades several decades and it is probably at the worst uh, ebb right now uh, whether it is the terrorism within the country mm. and without all of this can be linked to one single uh, aspect of our existence and that is uh, the conflict between india and pakistan and uh, a very strange and very unique aspect of this conflict is that um, if you look at the conflict between uh, the palestinians and the arabs or the balkan conflicts of the second world war or any conflict in the history of the world hmm. uh, you will find uh, that the conflict existed between the governments as well as the people Uh, the french hated the germans uh, the arabs and israelis cannot sit in a single room but in the case of india and pakistan only the governments are in conflict the people are very friendly and warm towards each other and as i said there are still divided families between india and pakistan and if they are issuing uh, 150 visas a day we would like 1500 visas a day mm. and this works for both countries Uh, so the very strange part of this conflict is that if you put indians and pakistanis in a room uh, you chris wouldn't be able to tell them apart <laughs> you would just not be able to say who is an indian and who is a pakistani not only because we look alike and we have lived together for centuries but uh, because we would be so friendly towards each other so this is a very strange part of this uh, conflict between these two nuclear countries completely fascinating it reminds me as a lot of things do of a manto story a set in kashmir in a valley in a war right after partition and there are two brigades firing on each other <coughs> indefinitely there's a dog that runs back and forth between them but it turns out there's a captain singh and a captain khan who are leading these groups and they come to discover that they came from the same village they went to the same school and they fought in the same unit of the british army in yeah. italy in what 1943 or 4 and of course it is insane it it, it, it is a little nuts uh in your view on the range of psychology or manipulation or nationalism i mean what is it that keeps it going well i'd like to say two things and they might appear quite contradictory but that's what the story of india and pakistan is part contradictory part insane um the contradictory part is that there are disputes between india and pakistan and these are disputes that are very real and these are disputes that we can't wish away uh the biggest dispute is is kashmir which we believe uh, is 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 a is should have been part of pakistan and mount beton with all his um the mistakes that he committed in in the way the partition was uh, um handled uh, kashmir was to be part of pakistan but india annexed kashmir and s- during the last 60 years because the people of kashmir are muslims and all m- 
Islam dominated areas were supposed to be part of Pakistan and because there is a UN resolution that asks specifically for a plebiscite in Kashmir and India has not held that uh, plebiscite uh, they have had to subjugate the people of Kashmir and they have committed atrocities which are barbaric so that's the biggest conflict uh, then there is the conflict and these are conflicts uh, uh, that Pakistan feels very strongly about and Pakistanis feel strongly about. There is the dispute on water. Uh, we are the lower riparians, so the water flows from India to Pakistan. And we have uh, the Indus Waters Treaty, which is a wonderful document and um, which governs the relationship vis-a-vis water. Mm. Um, and it has a dispute handling mechanism also. But there is uh, a perception in Pakistan uh, that India diverts waters from Pakistan and that uh, it manipulates the flow so that it doesn't suit our sowing uh, season. Uh, then there is the Indian perception of threat from Pakistan in terms of exporting terrorism. So these are disputes which are very real and these are disputes that we haven't been able to handle. Uh, that's one part. That's what keeps it going. The other thing is that... Um, we have very strong vested interests in both countries uh, which will not allow uh, peace uh, to prevail between the two countries purely because of vested interests because if there were peace for instance uh, why would we need the huge army that we have and why would India need the huge army that it has we have no conflict with any country other than India and we are one of the poorest countries in the world and yet we have uh, probably the fifth or the sixth largest standing army of the world. Uh, we equip it um, beyond our means. Uh, and if we were to be able to divert that money uh, uh, towards development expenditure, towards education, uh, if we were able to uh, enjoy the dividends of peace and economic collaboration with India, if India could have access to the Central Asian markets through land routes in Pakistan, the sky would be the limit. If you look at what has happened in the European Union, uh, uh, the European Union, incidentally, uh, has 71% of its entire trade is within the European Union. Mm. In the case of India and Pakistan, in fact, in the case of this region, the intra-country trade, intra-region trade is 4%. Really? 96% dependence on uh, countries far away from Pakistan, the European Union, uh, the US, and so on and so forth. And there is huge potential of collaboration uh, between India and Pakistan. Together, they would be a very strong uh, vendor. Together, they would uh, enjoy competitive advantages that uh, divided they don't have. Um, so these vested interests will not allow peace to reign between India and Pakistan. That is also something that keeps it going. Um, so on the one part, there are real disputes. And on the other hand, there are perceptions and there are disputes that are created in the imagination of the people and in the imagination of the world mm. so that the conflict rages. And this is by forces which are inimical to peace. I try to ask everybody in Pakistan their partition story. Their experience, because my, my sense is even among people like you who weren't alive when it happened, I mean, it, uh, the imprint through generations is strong and keeps getting stronger. What was your family story? Both my parents come from areas which are now India, uh, the UP province, which is the Uttar Pradesh uh, province. And uh, uh, most of my father's 
family have migrated to Pakistan, but half of my mother's family still uh, remains in India. So it is a story that I've heard uh, through my parents and my grandparents. And um, uh, I, I remember the uh, the longing that my mother had every time that she would speak about India. In fact, you know, every even till she died about 10 years ago, she would refer to India as uh, Hamara Hindustan, our India. Uh, and, and, you know, we used to say to her that, you know, it is no longer Hamara Hindustan. I mean, India uh, is, is a different country. Pakistan is a different country. But I think uh, uh, my parents and the people of uh, that era uh, could not really reconcile with um, being uprooted from their ancestral places and moving to Pakistan. There were Muslims in a Hindu town. Why did they come? And with what feeling, under what pressure, or what compulsion, with what ambition? Well, I think it was very clear that uh, remaining in India as a minority was uh, not a very good option. And Pakistan was a dream uh, for Muslims. uh, And that's why they came here. They came following that dream. And I think it is a dream that uh, we would like to live out uh, for them. It's not here yet. In fact, it's become a nightmare. Mm. Can I just say, there's a huge American interest in this, even for people like me, who have watched the progress of our own sort of geopolitics uh, with tremendous unease since the Iraq war. Barack Obama thought that was a dumb war, but he thought Afghanistan was the right war. He's now coming out of Afghanistan more and more beset by the Pakistan riddle, on the verge of becoming a very hostile relationship with maybe a rogue army. But when you look deeper at Pakistan, as you do, you find it's the Indpak problem at the root of it, and partition, the wounds of partition that keep on wounding at the bottom of that. So I'd love to hear you sort of stretch out the case that this is somehow the root of, of what we've been chasing in the wrong places for a long time. Well, I'd like to clarify something. Uh, when, you, when you say the wound of partition, uh, I don't know if I would like to describe partition as a wound that has lingered. Partition was necessary. And if you ask um, any Pakistani, I'm sure, I am absolutely convinced that 99% of Pakistanis today will say that if we had uh, another shot, we would still want partition. We want... Two nations? We want two nations. Uh, Living in India as a minority is is a horrible option. And I think the the, the Muslims in India uh, are an example of that. And the Muslim of India do not enjoy a level playing field. So the hope of a country for ourselves is the dream that we chased. What has turned into a nightmare is what we have done with the opportunities that we had and what we have done with the country that we have. The huge resources that we have in terms of the people, in terms of the talent that abounds in this country, in terms of the resources, in terms of of the beauty of this country, in terms of the resources and the minerals, uh, the wonderful weather, the wonderful people, the resilience of the people. We have not been able to channelize that. Uh, because we have had corrupt governments, because we have uh, strong vested interests who put themselves before uh, national interest. So that is how the dream has gone sour. But the the partition itself is something that was inevitable. It is something that 
uh, almost 100% of the Pakistanis would still want if we could relive and redo the whole thing all over again. Let me say, you know infinitely more about this than I do, but I just want to go on record that there's a lot of argument on the other side, and it seems to me a growing interest. All these books now coming out on partition, and many, many angles, but several I've read find it, a, 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 if not the wrong decision, a tremendously hasty decision. I'm thinking particularly of a book called Shameful Flight, quoting the last Viceroy Mountbatten saying, I fucked it up. Yeah. went too fast, closed on the deal in August 47 right. when he had a deadline for the right. following summer, etc., etc. People wonder if Jinnah would have settled for a federated state, if Nehru maybe just rashly wanted to rule his own roost, if Gandhi gave up too quickly on his own strong opposition to two nations. I mean, uh, do you revisit that whole period, as so many people seem to be doing? Uh, well, no, I don't revisit that because, uh, A, as I said, you know, it was uh, before I was even born. But if I were to revisit it intellectually, um, Mountbatten uh, should have said that he fucked up because he certainly did. But uh, uh, it, it could have been done differently. But uh, the, the inevitability of partition is not something that uh, any Pakistani would, would revisit and would work it out differently. And if you were to talk to Indians, there is a perception in Pakistan, particularly uh, amongst the, um, the establishment in Pakistan, that the Indians have not reconciled to the partition of India. I think they have. And uh, if you talk to people in India, they, they, they are no longer interested, if ever they were, uh, in a united uh, uh, territory uh, which forms Pakistan and India. They are quite happy living in their own separate homeland as we are quite happy living in our own uh, separate homeland. But we want to live as friendly neighbors, prosperous, friendly neighbors in our separate countries. Nobody wants... Uh, uh, it, it's not like East and West Germany's where you break down a wall and they are the same countries and it's the same people. These are different people. They are similar people but different people. And these are different countries. That is a, a historical fact that both countries have reconciled to. It could have been done better, certainly. How different, how similar is it to the two-state, one-state argument about Palestine and Israel today? Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, in effect, you're saying the two-state solution was the only one for India-Pakistan. Of course, you've got a lot more room to play with. Right. Uh, but, I mean, are there versions of the similar argument? I mean, I think there are people uh, who, who would make a strong one-state argument in the Middle East and probably also here. No, uh, come on, guys. We've lived together too long. Uh, I think that would be an impossibility in... India and Pakistan and in uh, uh, Palestine and Israel. We have to recognize that Israel is a state. Israel must recognize that Palestine is a state. Uh, what part goes to Israel, what part goes to Palestine is something that uh, uh, we, we will probably never be able to get right because it is too sensitive and emotional a subject. Uh, and even in the largest interest of the thing, when you divide a home, and you take away something from a family, they will never reconcile to it. But I think the fact of the matter is that India is a separate country, Pakistan is a separate country. Israel has to be a separate country, and Palestine has to be a separate country. And because people are not reconciling to that fact, we see the problems that we do see. Come back to Awan Kiyasha. What's the, 
what's the approximate goal? What's the five-year goal? What's the 50-year goal? What's the millennial goal? Okay. Uh, what, the, the end game is peace between India and Pakistan. Uh, it's very difficult to define what peace is. For instance, peace could be the absence of hostilities. Uh, peace could be economic collaboration. Uh, peace could be uh, minding each uh, your own business and not meddling with each other's uh, uh, internal affairs. And, uh, peace could be just opening up the visas. Uh, to Aman Ki Asha, uh, peace is all of this. Uh, the problem that we face is that uh, for us, for India and Pakistan uh, to reach settlement to, uh, of their disputes, whether it is Kashmir, whether it is Kashmir, or terrorism, or the water dispute, or Sir Creek, or or whatever, mm. uh, it is the governments which will have to sit down and sign on the dotted line as far as agreements are concerned. Uh, the Jung Group or the Times of India or the Civil Society of Pakistan and India, they can't do that. What we can do and what we are attempting to do through Aman Kiyasha is to give confidence to both governments. What comfort do you take from the European Union? I mean, Germany and France will never go to war again. Right. Do you aspire to something like an economic union, a currency union, eventually a political union? Well, what we aspire for is good neighborly relations. We aspire uh, for the settlement of disputes on terms which are equitable, honorable, acceptable to India, to Pakistan and to Kashmir. What follows thereafter has no limits. And, and, and you make a wonderful point about uh, um, um, Germany and France and you would be happy to know that in the last strategic conference that we organized, in which, to my knowledge, the first time ever, the former chief of RAW, which is the Indian Intelligence Agency and mm. the equivalent of ISI, and the former chief of ISI sat across the tables and they spoke about terrorism, they spoke about all their disputes, and they spoke about uh, uh, accusations, um, and, and then they worked out uh, uh, what could be done, uh, remedies as well. So, when we advertised, when we spoke about this strategic conference, we were approached by the ambassador of France. And he said that I have spoken to my colleague, the ambassador of Germany, and we would like to come to this conference and make a joint presentation hmm. on the history of our dispute. Uh, Germany had occupied France for four years and my father, that is the father of the French ambassador, was a prisoner of war in Germany. Mm. And the father of the current German ambassador was uh, a captain or a second lieutenant in France, part of the occupying force. And you can imagine how we hated each other. But yet we made peace. And we made peace over a period of 15 years. What were the instruments of those peace? Why did we make those peace? Mm. And how happy our respective fathers were the day that peace instrument was signed. So we would like to share uh, um, our learnings with, uh, with uh, the people of India and Pakistan and we would like to start this entire strategic conference by a joint presentation by the ambassador of France and Germany speaking about the history of their conflict, how they made peace, why they made peace, what were the instruments of that peace, what is the economic benefit today and the learnings for India and Pakistan. Shuruk Hassan, it is a joy to meet a man, a newspaper guy, a Pakistani who's on fire for peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Muslims subscribe to that line in the book, great book, do they Absolutely. not? Absolutely. Thank you.
Good luck to Aman Kiyasha. We will stay current with it. Please. Thank you very much. Ben Mandelkern produced and Henry Peck edited this conversation in Karachi with Sharuk Hassan of the Jung Media Group. Our series, Another Pakistan, is a co-production of the Watson Institute and the Asia Society. Zarmani Ansari is our producer in Pakistan. Thanks also to Bina Sarwar of the Jung Media Group. The conversations continue from South Asia, also online. Listeners, please feedback your views, your Pakistan, with a comment on our website, radioopensource.org. I'm Christopher Leiden. Thank you for being part of the Open Source Conversation.